The old lady put her bloody saw down so she could rest. She lit a cigarette and asked which podcast I like best. Well, my favorite podcast is Sometimes Dad is Better. Dad is Better. Sometimes Dad is Better. Hello and welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better, and it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And do we sound crisp and clear? Are we coming through? Can you hear us? I'm trying to get help from the mainland. <laughs> okay. They're not coming in. They're not coming in. I'm sorry. I didn't get the bit. <laughs> but we are here together, not on Zoom. Yes, for the first time. Um, well, not really, but for the first time for purposes of the podcast in years. Years. <laughs> to do, uh, and what episode are we doing this time? Today we're going to do 1982 John Carpenter's The Thing. This is kind of an interesting pick for both of us because this is one that, unlike most of the sort of classics that we do, that neither of us really grew up with or watched a lot or even had seen until semi-recently. Wouldn't you agree? The first time I saw it was last Halloween. Okay, so during our extended hiatus. (laughs) And I watched it and I was immediately just like, holy shit. This is the best thing I've ever seen. I got the 4K for my birthday that year. And then I realized that my sister was very upset with me because it's one of her favorite movies and she's seen it a hundred times. But for some reason, we had just never watched it together. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because uh, in a way, this is maybe the impetus for getting the podcast started back because I remember you texted me that night that you watched it. And I had, for some reason, just also recently watched it. I'm not sure how the timing of that worked out. And I remember thinking, oh, we got, we really just got get this podcast back going. So then, of course, a year later, <laughs> it is a classic. Um, also, we'll be talking a little bit about something I'm more familiar with, which is the classic X-Files episode, Ice. Right. We have a little X-Files corner. Yeah, which, uh, I mean, I've seen the, the Ice episode probably 30 times in my life. And I've always heard that that was a sort of, you know, a takeoff on the thing. And it's a straight up ripoff of any <laughs> just But, you know, gleefully so. And like, they certainly don't hide it. So the thing came out in June 1982. So I was six months old. It was uh, my first movie in the movie theater. No, okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was just over two years old. And it came out the same day as Blade Runner. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And two weeks after E.T. Man, what a disappointing <laughs> box office that would have been. <laughs> And so it was not well-received when it came out. It was kind of considered a flop. That and Blade Runner. I think people really didn't want to see kind of downer movies. They really wanted to see something like E.T. They wanted Spielberg. Well, I mean, I guess this happens anytime something comes out that is somewhat bleak, um, maybe not immediately understood. The thing confuses me a little bit on that because even if it's bleak, it's still a horror movie and it's still scary. And it presumably does every single thing it's set out to do, which is like, you know, be scary and gross and interesting. Blade Runner, I kind of more get because you can watch Blade Runner and not have a clue what's going on in most of the movie, other than the, the visuals. But I guess this would be comparable to like, in more recent time, like something like The Mist, which kind of came and went. And now, maybe 10 years later, or whatever it is, most people kind of acknowledge that as like, at least kind of a modern classic. Yeah. But I just don't get why apparently it wasn't well received. Like the critics didn't even like it. Yeah. I mean, I mean they were like downright mean about it. There was a New York Times article that was just brutal. Yeah. 
And then I listened to an interview with John Carpenter, and he said that it was just awful. Like, he, that's still his favorite movie. Really? And now that he's, like, 76 years old, he looks back, and he says he doesn't give a fuck about the, <laughs> the reviews. But at the time, he's, he said it was devastating, you know? Especially you're working something that's so insular. You're doing your thing. You're working day and night. It's not like it's nowadays where you're seeing everything that's going on through Twitter. You can see right, what yeah. other productions are going on, how other movies are being reviewed. You're probably just working on this nonstop and then it's released yeah and they're in the middle of nowhere for some of it you mm -hmm. know and the budget's on the screen it's not like they spent nothing on this movie i mean i think they said he spent i want to say 15 million dollars which back then and heck even now is a lot of money for a horror movie it's probably his biggest budget yeah i mean i read that in comparison when he did halloween they spent three hundred thousand dollars which is just crazy to me <laughs> yeah i mean that's still more money than i have <laughs> but yeah and on the ringer podcast they interviewed john carpenter and they like posed the question of like do you wish that this would have been a hit how would it have affected your career and he was just like i'm not even gonna go there like he is happy that he did the thing he still loves the thing which is that's great to be able to say that he said that he, and then he was just very blunt about it. He's like, well, if it was a hit, then I probably would have gotten more money and done bigger projects, but I didn't. So. Yeah. He was supposed to do Firestarter. I guess the Stephen King book that had just come out that time. And because of the, the, you know, poor performance of the thing, he basically got fired from Firestarter, which is, <laughs> you know, no pun intended. And then someone else went and did that movie. And I don't know. I haven't seen Firestarter since I was a kid. I have no idea the quality of that. I just know Drew Barrymore's in it. Yeah. Probably would have done a pretty good job with it. But instead, he did go on to do Christine, which is another Stephen King property. So it seems kind of odd. Like, what difference does it make? <laughs> We're right. not going to let you do this. <laughs> As punishment, you have to do Christine, which is... And so they shot in British Columbia. They started building the set, like, in the summer. So they had all the set all built and then... They chose that place because of the heavy snowfall, and they had to film all that outdoor scenes outside in that cold. Yeah, that must have been hard to go to work when you know that you're going to be just absolutely freezing most of the workday. Yeah. Even when they're in the sound stages, I think they had the temperature. They said that that was worse because they're in the sound stages in L.A. It's like 102 degrees outside, but then they're going into these refrigerated compartments to do yeah. the work. Then they come out, and it's burning hot, and they were saying that a lot of them kept getting like sick and getting colds. Because sometimes they would go to lunch, but they wouldn't even change because they were so exhausted and yeah. they just got too hot and too cold. And Well, I think it must have worked for their performances, though, because they're all just so very grumpy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, none of them particularly seem to like each other. Like Even the hero, you know, um, Mac, Kurt Russell's character, he's likable and we all like him. But you don't get the sense that anyone else particularly likes him. No, um, he's, the number one priority for him is to go to his shack by himself and get drunk right. that, that's what he wants to do yeah well, what else are you gonna do I mean, yeah i did it brian my note you know when he said that line you know just same <laughs> exactly <laughs> i do like how he has his own little apartment above the station so he has a little computer there a chess game i mean his job title which i figured out halfway the movie is helicopter pilot <laughs> right that's just, he's just the pilot yeah so he must do mostly nothing most of the day so i can see why he would you know probably become a alcoholic pretty quickly if that's all you had to do and speaking of um what is kurt russell drink in this uh, movie oh yeah we're, we're there so the first scene that we see him in is he's drinking some j and b whiskey as he's playing on the rocks as yeah. he's playing his little chess game yeah we uh we splurged and we got some j and b whiskey <laughs> ourselves it's on the rocks it's quite good I, I don't, i'm not i don't usually drink scotch uh, or even whiskey um on its own you know whether it's steed or on the rocks i'm a baby so it's usually mixed with something or other but we're I'm, very method here so we're, very method. we're drinking it on the rocks so cheers cheers we're taking a sip now 
Oh, cheating bitch. <laughs> Why are you pouring in the computer? <laughs> okay, so before we even get to Kurt Russell and yeah, all I guess of his we glory. Really, we haven't really <laughs> told, talked about what how the movie opens yet. We, yeah, so we start with the opening scene of a spaceship. Yeah, and again, I've seen this a handful of times, you know, three or four times. If you had told me this movie opens with a flying saucer, I would have said, you're, not, you're that's wrong. That's that the does, wrong thing. That does not happen. <laughs> Um, it's the same thing with Predator. Have you seen Predator in a while? No. It opens with a spaceship. Oh. You know, and I just always block, and I've seen Predator probably 20 times. I always just block that from mine and say, why is there a spaceship? Well, I think that's why I also kind of avoided this movie. Oh, because yeah, you're probably I, all, out. <laughs> all I ever saw was the cover, and it looked like someone coming from, like an alien. Front. Well, and the back cover does say the ultimate alien terror. Yeah, so, so you know how I feel about space. Yeah, yeah. thank God you made it past the first five seconds of this movie. <laughs> so this thing gets going, and it just hits the ground running, and oh, it kind yeah. of just never stops. And then, so it's really cool, because the opening title screen on this is based on the... Is this is kind of a remake of the 1951 the thing from outer space, which John Carpenter loved as a kid. Obviously, it's a whole different kind of story. It's yeah, I've never seen it. Um, I haven't either. Yeah. I imagine it's kind of like the movies that you would watch on Mystery yeah. Science Theater three thousand. <laughs> I assume it's kind of like that. I, mean, um, I think it has. I think it has some status to it. I think it was maybe a hit at the time. I guess it was. Yeah, you're probably right. Probably kind of a B movie, but I don't think it was nothing either. I don't think it was like Mano's Hand of Fate or anything. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it would still be good to watch. Um, but what's interesting is John Carpenter was talking about how he just didn't want this movie to be the monster be a guy in a suit, which is kind of like what it is in the original The Thing from Outer Space. He uh, even yeah. he even referenced Alien. He was like, as much as I love Alien, in the end, what is it? It's a guy in a suit. So. Yeah, I would. the more you watch that movie, it's very apparent that it's a guy in a suit. And then, so they kind of did the same title sequence as... So that's kind of a an homage to the first movie, and oh, yeah. the way they did it, the guy describes it. It's it's pretty interesting. So like he shot it through a fish tank, and then he had the words cut out, and then he put a garbage bag on top, and then burned the garbage bag, and it caused that that illusion of it. And he was like, "Yeah, super simple." It's like <laughs> I love yeah, that. Yeah, it was like, like when you watch the behind the scenes of the first Star Wars when they're showing how they do the famous opening crawl. You know the Star. Yeah, you know, yeah. They someone actually made a big mat of that text and put it over, like laid it on the floor of some studio. And I'm probably saying this all wrong, but, <laughs> and to just sort of pan the camera slowly down. That's not like digital or in a computer. That's just a real thing. I'm sure now, obviously they do it <laughs> much different. Right. That's but, still, that's um, still super cool. And that seems like so much more, like, I would never think of that. I'd be like, well, I guess it just can't be done. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I love the opening. Uh, we open in the Antarctica, which uh, Chris and I learned from the commentary that we were just watching was in Brit British Columbia. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it may as well be Antarctica. I'm not sure if there are mountains in Antarctica. I meant to Google that. I don't know. You think it'd be flat, right? Is that yeah. what you think? I don't know. I mean. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't want to go there. I don't want to find out. No. But the cool thing about that scene and, you know, we see this dog being chased through this vast wilderness and, uh, you know, a helicopter chasing it for some reason that you learn about later. And it goes on for a good five minutes, and there's yeah. this sort of menacing kind of... I thought it was a John Carpenter score, because it sounds like his other movies, but it's actually Ennio Morricone, right. who's more famous for, like, the Spaghetti Westerns, um, some of the more recent Tarantino stuff. But Tarantino is only using it because of the Spaghetti Westerns. Right. <laughs> John Carpenter said, someone asked him, like, why didn't you do the score? And he was just like, because they didn't want me to. <laughs> And they were like, yeah, but you were so good on Halloween. And he was like, no, 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 no. Back then, they thought Halloween score was awful. Oh, really? Yeah. They look. You're looking at it from your perspective. But back then, they were like, no, please don't do any more music. Crazy. <laughs> and so, obviously, he got um, Ennio to come and do the score. 
but he did it kind of in a John Carpenter style. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I do imagine like some studio head coming to like John Carpenter's studio and just John Carpenter and like the synthesizer like <laughs> fucking around and they're like, "What are you doing?" But the, the cool thing about the opening, which goes on again for like easily four or five minutes, is like you get a sense of like how isolated they are because a lot of the rest of the movie is you know them inside what well, we know you know a studio somewhere in California. But by setting, I think that first salvage shot is to show you, you know, like they really, they really are in the middle of nowhere. And the rest of the movie, you just don't question it, right? Yeah. Well, it's a bold way to open a movie, too. Yeah. A very dog in distress. Dog. Yeah, you're very worried about that dog. And it took me a while when I was watching it to realize, oh, they're trying to kill the dog for a reason. In my head, I was thinking something's wrong with the guy in the helicopter. He's gone crazy. Yeah. And then it takes me a minute. Then you later, you realize, oh, no, they had a reason for trying to kill that dog. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's when you watch it again, you're like, get that dog. <laughs> but, <laughs> that um, dog's name was Jeb. Jeb. Yeah. He was actually a half wolf, half husky. So he did have wolf in him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I did notice in the credits, um, I watched all the credits because it just had that, you know, Bob and the score. But at the end, it did say like something about, which may have been unique for the time. Like, we want to thank the American Humane Society or whatever it is for their dedication and cooperation in making this movie. Oh, it's interesting. I wonder when they started that. I don't know, but it's, it wasn't the standard border plate stuff you see now. I like, know animals were harmed yeah. and, and you're like, oh, whatever, like 10 horses died. Whatever. <laughs> I, I mean, know. up until like, you know, one of my kids' favorite movies and one of mine when I was a kid was Milo and Otis, if you recall that movie. And apparently they really threw a cat off the cliff, you know, and things like that. Well, I don't think that was a cartoon. That's like a real movie. It's a real movie. Uh, I guess I haven't seen it. They throw a cat off a cliff? Yeah. <laughs> like for real? Yes. <laughs> That's terrible. And it falls into the ocean. And, but who knows if it's the same cat? But apparently there were like multiple animals they went through. So I'm not really sure. Also, you know, there's a famous story of the Disney movie where they, apparently these lemmings jump off to their death. But that's not actually what lemmings do. They actually had them on like a rotating record player type thing that was throwing them off. Oh, God. So anyway, so we're glad the dogs in this yeah. were treated well. Disney has a lot of explaining to do, don't they? I know. It's being pursued by a guy in a helicopter. Once it goes over the Arctic base, they helpfully explain like, oh, they're from Norway or they're Norwegians because it says so on the helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the helicopter kind of comes down and guy gets out and immediately blows up the, the helicopter. <laughs> kind of funny. He tries to throw a grenade at the dog, <laughs> right. which seems extreme, you know, but because like he's already shooting at it. I guess he thought he'd have better aim with a grenade. <laughs> But he drops the grenade behind him, so whoopsie-daisy, so he kills his other friend, scientist, whatever, right. and blows up the helicopter. And uh, the people on the base are like, what is happening? I would think they also might be a little excited, because like, how long have they been out there For sure, doing yeah. nothing? Yeah. They're yeah. like, finally, some action. <laughs> Kurt Russell still has his bottle with them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then one guy gets shot in the knee, and he's yeah. all right, though. They give him some J&B. Yeah, and they even that'd be like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. At least there's something to do. Yeah. But the guy that, to me, looks a little bit like James Cromwell, I can't, you know, the captain guy. Yeah, Gary? Yeah, Gary. Blows his head off. It's pretty, you know, pretty shocking. Oh, yeah, um, he shoots him through the window. Shoots through the window. But yeah, so no one quite knows what's going on. That, oh, well, they must have gone a little bit crazy. They're having cabin fever. Yeah. Because they know there's this other base somewhere nearby with Norwegians, or Swedes, Swedes as Kurt Russell says. Yes. Um, doing... I guess the same stuff that they're doing, which is never really explained. No, not really. <laughs> you just know it's science and they're just, the name of the station is literally like American Science Station <laughs> or something like that. I do think that all the actors that they cast, I mean, a lot of them were theater actors or like veteran actors. And I guarantee you they did like deep dives into their characters yeah. and went ahead and had 
their own little Bible on their character. Yeah, I mean, you kind of learn what their characters are or like through their actions, you know, how they re- how they react to the sort of stimuli they're faced with. Yeah. yeah, and I think they had really simple breakdowns for the characters. Like in a documentary I watched, I mean, Kurt Russell's character, his whole description is McCready, 35, helicopter pilot, likes chess, hates the cold, the pay is good. <laughs> you know, I think he gave them like kind of simple terms to, that describe their characters and then they kind of like maybe took that and made it into what they wanted. Yeah. You don't need to know much more about McCready. It's not like he has a wife. We don't, you know, he doesn't have kids he's trying to get back home to or anything. He's just kind of there. He seems about as happy there as he would be anywhere, I think is the idea. And so this is the third movie that him and John Carpenter have worked on so far. Okay. Is it? But they it did was, Elvis. Which have yeah, you ever seen that? Know. Have you ever seen him as Elvis? I, I may have seen it when I was a kid. I certainly didn't know that that was a John Carpenter movie. I think it was like a TV movie. Yeah, I think uh, so. But also remember we were talking about in Pet Cemetery. Dale Midkiff. Dale Midkiff <laughs> also played Elvis. Oh, he was the one in Elvis and Me, the, the one with right. the Okay, that's the one I remember. Okay. And then, so they had just done Escape from New York. Yeah. And then they did The Thing. But then they went on to do more together. Yeah, Big Trouble. Yeah. That may be about it. <laughs> that's still, that's a well, long no, Escape, run. Well, no, Escape from L.A. Oh, yeah, right? that's right. But I, I read today that, you know, Kurt Russell almost wasn't cast. They, the producers yeah. wanted any number of other actors. Most of them, um, you know, like Harrison Ford, Christopher Walken, uh, Gary Buse. No, and Nick Nolte, I get them confused. <laughs> But a lot of big names, and they all passed, obviously, but most of it had to do with they didn't want to go to <laughs> British Columbia or wherever it was and, you know, freeze to death. Harrison Ford actually apparently was kind of interested, but it just oh. had to do with, you know, he was probably doing Return of the Jedi or something at the time. Yeah, Kurt Russell said that he was helping John Carpenter work through the character, you know, helping to think of who might be a good fit for it. And like you said, they weren't even thinking about him. And yeah. he said like three or four weeks before shooting, John Carpenter was like, hey, you want to do it? And he said... Yeah, I really do, actually. That's cool. The studio, or the producers, thought he'd be you know too good-looking to sort of pull off this gruff character. I presume you don't agree with that. <laughs> no, not at all. Especially because there's a lot of other just, like, regular-looking dudes, you know. Also, I mean, I think Keith David's, you know, good-looking. Yeah. I mean, um, it's not like Russell's, like, Leonardo DiCaprio when he's not... He's, he's not, like, distractingly or Adonis-like or... No. He looked, he's just an attractive guy that... Yeah, that wouldn't be an issue if they were casting a woman. Right, yeah. They wouldn't think, oh, this girl's too hot for this. Yeah. They would never. They would never think that. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, another movie that I haven't seen of Kurt Russell's is Bone Tomahawk, which is... Have you seen it? Uh, yes, I have seen that. That is a crazy movie. Yeah. So, I mean, it's always on people's lists of, like, hardest to watch or, like, most gruesome. Does it count as horror? Um, it's, yeah, I wouldn't call it a horror movie. Um, it, you know, it's definitely, it's sort of a cross of genres. You know, it's a Western, it's kind of a comedy, but there's definitely some pretty shocking, it's more violent than anything. Okay. Actually, uh, that'd be fun to do, to talk about because it's got Kurt Russell yeah. and Patrick Wilson and oh, Matthew Fox. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been a long time since I watched it. I never really thought about it as a horror movie. That's it's interesting. I'm saying, can we, yes, can we just maybe yeah. make it? <laughs> we can make it fit easily. Maybe it is a horror movie. Again, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I remember just the broad strokes. Well, and so let's talk about the monsters because they're pretty fucking amazing. And it's also so fascinating that their main creature artist, uh, Rob Botton, who was, do you know how old he was? I read he's very young. 21. 21. Goodness. So he had done the howling and then he did the fog with John Carpenter. Oh. He actually played Blake. If you, have you seen the fog recently? Not recently, no. It's, 
it's still fun. Probably um, not since we watched it back in the day. Yeah, but he plays one of the ghosts, and also he helped with some of the effects. And, <laughs> and then, um, so John Carpenter hi- hired him at 21 and just gave him whatever he wanted and gave him his trust to, to do this. And, and that's pretty impressive. And also, he really wanted it, us to be able to see the monsters. It's not going to be like you're going to see the shadow on the wall. Or yeah, no, you see it. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to see it. Yeah. That may be what is so shocking about like, every time the monster sort of re- is revealed or emerges, it's just right there in your face. They're not oh, hiding yeah. at all. You know, one level, it's sort of a jump scare. But yeah, that, that is much different than especially, say, like Alien or even Jaws or something where you just don't see yeah. the creature. And that's sort of built in to the tension of it. I mean, and then Rob Botten went on to do RoboCop, uh, yeah. Total Recall. I assume nice. he is responsible for the three-boob lady. <laughs> I'll give him credit for that. He, and then he, I was play Arnold. He also was. I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Bear me out. <laughs> and then he also worked on Seven, which is interesting because it kind of reminds me of this movie in a way because of the ending. I bet it was really hard for John Carpenter to get the ending made this way. Yeah, it, it's kind of incredible. Um, I guess that could be another reason why it wasn't a huge hit. Because with Seven, I know it was impossible. We, we we have to do Seven soon, but I mean, the way the script was originally written was obviously the way it ended with the head in the box, but they sent the wrong script to David Fincher that had the ending with the head in the box. The studio had already changed it to a different ending. Like a happier ending? Yeah. Oh. And so he got the... What was in the box? <laughs> it's not sure. Either it was like the dog's head was in the box or Somerset shoots Brad Pitt before he can shoot John Doe. Something like that. Something that was a little more palatable. Okay. And But they sent the wrong one to David Fincher. And they're like, oh, sorry, sorry. Could you just ignore that? Here's the right one. And he was like, no, no. <laughs> I want to do it this way. And it was really hard to get it made that way in the end, which I think is the same thing that happened here. Like John Carpenter said he didn't actually shoot an alternate ending, but he had to have an alternate ending like in mind that either showed Kurt Russell being rescued or something, but he really didn't want to. But I, I love the way it ends. Uh, I do too. And I like that there's still like sort of a debate, apparently even with John Carpenter, about what exactly you're supposed to kind of believe is going on in the end. But it's interesting with this movie too, because John Carpenter is still a relatively new director. And then they have this this young guy. This is his first major movie. He's making all these models. But they still have like all these veteran people helping work on it. Like Albert Whitlock, who worked on The Birds and a lot of um, Hitchcock movies, the movie Earthquake. He did all the production design. And then they had even Lance Anderson, who came in and helped. Lance Anderson did Pet Cemetery, the thriller video, Planet of the Apes, X-Files. He did the dog scene, the first dog scene. Yeah. Well, I know he brought in uh, Stan Winston. Yes, and Stan Winston, too. Um, Who, I guess, maybe back then, because this is before even The Terminator, which is, I think, the first big Stan Winston you know, when he did the sort of endoskeleton thing for the Terminator. Um, and then, of course, later went on to, you know, Jurassic Park and God knows what else. Yeah. Um, Chris just shivered when I mentioned <laughs> Jurassic Park, by the way. Yeah. And so Stan Winston, I guess he must have been something of a name because he agreed to go uncredited. Right. And he got some sort of special thanks or something. But he had something to do with, I believe, the, you know, the dog thing, one of the dog things. Because of the nature of the creature itself, you never are quite sure what you're looking at. You know, there's all these heads and tentacles and squid-like things and that probably helps it a little bit so it maybe hides some of the puppetry or artifice of it also said they use buckets and buckets and buckets of ky jelly so i think that helped with the the gooiness of it but there are there are works of art i bet some eyebrows were raising that when that showed up on set (laughs) wait wait what are we doing here we're all isolated and girls like it's fine (laughs) 
Let's go with it. I had trouble understanding like the mechanics of the thing. I think I finally kind of figured out like what exactly it does. Did you or like? Well, it says that it's okay. So here it says right here we're watching the movie. It says assimilation complete. Cell dog. I think it's supposed to be more simple than it kind of comes across. But I guess the organism is trying to imitate whatever it comes into contact with. But so it does that at first. So the dog is looks like a dog, right? Yeah. And then I don't know what happens. It gets agitated. And then it's just like, fuck it. I can't, <laughs> I can't take it. This is not who I am. You know, there's not going to be like an overarching theme. It just comes out, yeah. Yeah, there's not like an overarching theme of this movie. But if we really wanted to dig, like I was thinking like maybe like the moral of it is don't try to be what you aren't. Oh, Because yeah. <laughs> like the, the thing is trying so it's hard. It's okay thing. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to be what you're not. Yeah. Because it comes out just a mess. And then as soon as it's found out, it's just like, (laughs) (laughs) thank God. (laughs) I assume it's like when a woman comes home from a long day work and takes her bra off. I feel it's like that kind of feeling. (laughs) It's just like, oh, my tentacles, I got to get these out. (laughs) Got to spew my spew. (laughs) It's really funny. Yeah, I guess my question was, I think I've kind of figured out. And most of that had to do with you're not supposed to be asking these questions. Exactly. But so what happens is, okay, so the thing comes in contact with, say, you, right? Oh, no. Yeah. So you say that. (laughs) And then it's tentacles, whatever, go into you. And then it starts digesting you. But then, like, it's not like, okay, so I'm the thing and I'm ingesting you. I don't become you. No. You. I'm me. Well, we'll get to that when we talk. Maybe that one scene kind of describes it. So does it have the same consciousness like is it one this is all the things i was thinking about like are they different entities okay well i also was john carpenter said that a lot of the actors were asking him these questions and he did not have an answer he did not want to have an answer i guess he didn't write the script he was saying like kurt russell kept asking him so like when you are the thing do you know you're the thing do you lose that idea of yourself and he was like look over there kurt there's some more (laughs) and he literally like just kept Filming and just like, just oh, let's yeah. keep moving on. He doesn't want to think about it. He still doesn't know. He yeah, does I would have been care. a nightmare on that set because after the first kill, which by the way, I was still enjoying it, but I was like, wait, what's happening? And I, and I had to go, I had to go like, on, by the way, did you know there's a, a thing Wikipedia? <laughs> just for the, what yeah. do you mean? It's like it's called the thing wiki. Oh, yeah. it has its own wiki. Yeah, because apparently there's a video game at some point. Then, of course, there's the there's a 2011 movie, which I understand is a prequel, actually. Right. Um, I've not seen it, but now that I know it's a prequel, I may actually watch it. I uh, think I will watch it, too. My sister, who I said is a huge fan of the thing, has seen it, and she wasn't that impressed. Again, it's I think it's the idea of using a lot of CGI as opposed oh, to the actual uh, okay. animatronics and things they do. and. We'll talk about how they did some of the crazy monsters later. and But then we meet all these characters like pretty quickly. So we, we meet McReady, or Mac, who's played by Kurt Russell. And then we meet Windows, who immediately looks pretty cool to me. He's got his glasses on. Yeah. and his, Did you hear the story why they call him Windows? No. Because that actor showed up on set and he goes, I want to be called Windows. <laughs> <laughs> and John Carpenter said, cool. And that was... I love that. Yeah. And so he had another name. Also, did you notice he had a character named Mac and Windows? Oh, yeah. But Funny. this was before. Yeah. So it's like, I'm a PC and I'm a right. Mac. Yeah. Just like our last episode. Exactly. And then we have Palmer, who smokes a lot of pot. Not sure what his job is. He doesn't seem very reliable. And even at one point, someone needs a ride somewhere. And he's like, I'll drive you. And they're like, no, because obviously he's high and drunk all the time. So yeah. But Windows does the radio which also made me think well why doesn't he have like a radio type name like why do they call him radio why windows but well also he doesn't seem to be 
doing that good of a job. Apparently, there's been no communication for weeks. Yeah. They can't reach the Norwegian camp, which obviously we know why later. Yeah. But I don't know what he's doing. Well, he, he's pretty much sitting around just yelling at people about how they, he has no contact with anybody. Right. <laughs> they seem completely unconcerned. <laughs> but that seems to be his main, like, sort of focus is like we're completely cut off why why isn't everyone else freaking out about this i think if i was anyone at the camp i would be nulls because nulls tk carter the actor is just roller skating around yeah he's a comic listening to stevie wonder he's a comic in real life the actor yeah oh wow yeah i'm nulls we i'm just skating around listening to stevie wonder he's the cook too i love to cook you know what else he was in what punky brewster oh really he was her friend oh i forget her name but he was in all the episodes oh cool I'm not sure who I'd be. Honestly, I'd probably be Wilfred Brimley, <laughs> just <laughs> old and curmudgeonly. Uh, but I love Keith David's character. Um, oh, Just because so I love Keith David, and it's always so cool. I was looking at his IMD page. It is insane. It's crazy, right? Like, it is the longest IMDb page I've ever seen. Okay, if I just said Keith David, who? what's the first thing that pops to mind? I guess I'd probably think of Platoon. Okay, so yours is like kind of a more mature choice. Oh, well, I don't know. Mine is something about Mary. Oh, if you recall, yeah. he says, "You got your beans stuck with your Franks." He's whenever they right. zips it up. Also, um, he's Doctor Fastilier in the Princess and the Frog, one of my favorite Disney villains. Okay, one of my favorite Disney villain guy? songs. Yes, I looked at his on his page, the IMD page. Is a lot of it's animated stuff. So apparently, he just has a good voice. Yeah, he's but, a cat in Coraline. Yeah, and then most notably, lately he was in Nope. He was great in that. Right, right. Yeah, he was in. He's kind of the guy when you see, like, oh, it's that guy. But uh, he was in the Nice Guys. He has a really funny role in that. Okay, sort of the villain. Again, I'm going to advocate for the Nice Guys. I'm not sure if I have on this podcast. No, but I want to see it. It's so good. Okay. Um, not a horror movie, but you know, still podcast worthy. But anyway, always good to see Keith David. I think this is actually one of his first roles. He was in another John Carpenter movie too, though. Oh, he was in They Live. Okay, I've not seen They Live. I haven't either. Okay. We should do that. Goodness, yeah. And then we have all Wilford Brimley, who plays Doctor Blair, yeah. who I I know best from Cocoon because we watched Cocoon. that movie a lot as a kid. Yeah, and but there was also. Around that same time, there was a TV show. I don't know if you remember, but it had life in the title, like Life Matters or Life Something. It was just about this family. Wilford Brimley was obviously the patriarch. Oh, no, I didn't, I don't know that. there's a child that had like a Down syndrome. And uh, it was just a, it was a pretty big hit at the time. And, and then he, of course, did the Quaker Oats commercials. And I think kids nowadays would know him as diabetes. Do you know that? Uh, yeah, because is that that meme or whatever? Yeah. Know? Um, I'm not. I'm still not sure where that comes from. Though, like, what? he did a commercial for like raising awareness for diabetes, but uh, the way he pronounced it was diabetes. Okay. <laughs> and then so now it's on T-shirts and it's oh. memes and stuff like that. Actually, in Cancun, he's only like fifty something. Oh, okay. And so there's actually this funny thing on Twitter, and it's called the the Wilford Brimley Cancun line. And so anytime a celebrity, like say Paul Rudd, turns the same age as Wilford Brimley Cancun, they have a big celebration. <laughs> So let's say today, Paul Rudd, and I, I'm pretty sure there's actually an example, turns 51, the same age, and I, it's like 51 or 52. I, I always said he was 70 or 80 in that movie. Um, but whatever age Wilford Brimley was when he did the first cocoon. Then we also have Clark, who is the dog wrangler, played by Richard Mauser, who I know most from My Girl. Okay, well, I know most from the uh, the original It. He played Stanley. Oh. He played the adult Stanley Uris. I haven't seen that in so long. Well, he's the one that you know that ends part one where he, you know he kills himself because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to get back to Derry because you know who would. <laughs> and he writes you know, It in his blood, and it was oh. shocking. It was shocking. I said to be continued. 
and America gasped. And, right. <laughs> uh, and then his head shows up in part two is in the refrigerator. He doesn't say much in this movie, but I'm going to say he's, he's very attractive. I, will, I thought he was so cute. Yeah. And I like that um, he wanted to do this part, he said, because he chose to audition for this part because he liked the idea of Clark being more attached to the dogs than people. Yeah. Who do you play in My Girl? I think he was like the uncle. Okay. I think I, I can't say for sure, but I'm pretty sure I saw that in theater. And I remember like everyone walking out like, what? <laughs> just <laughs> There's just no frame of reference for like Macaulay Culkin dying. Uh, Do they? Anyway, that we're, this is That's a micro so podcast. It, but it could be. All right. Um, so back to the thing. Right. They decide to go. <laughs> what did we just talk about? Micro? <laughs> it? Uh, so they decide to go and check out the Norwegian camp because they can't get in contact with that either because Windows doesn't know what he's doing. So they head over there. McCready flies the helicopter over there. They find a guy very similar to we'll talk later into the X-Files episode, a guy who has looks like he's cut his wrist. His blood is already frozen. Will your blood freeze that quickly? Is I didn't that know true? if that was supposed to be his blood or if it's like tendons that are sort of I think it's blood that's frozen. That's what John Carpenter said. Of, oh really? Yeah. So he wasn't thinking out or whatever that was I guess that would make sense because the thing would survive that cold. In the commentary, he said that he, the guy killed himself. Oh. And that was his blood. And, and they're just also kind of showing how cold it is that it okay. froze. It looks like he slit his throat, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe. However, he, cut, he killed all, himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just do okay. them all. I kinda, Let's get all the veins. I thought that was that makes more sense. But that's a really cool scene. And then uh, I like how when they find the, the videotape, Kurt Russell calls it something really weird. He's like, it's a portable recording unit. <laughs> <laughs> and just like a VHS. Right. Um, but I guess in 1982, even when they're watching the VCR, that probably would have been pretty, I mean, not everyone had a VCR at that time. Probably not, also not like in the middle of nowhere. Maybe yeah. they didn't have one. But I like how the guy's like, there's nine hours of this. And the guys are like, what? It's like, what the fuck else are you going to do? I yeah. would sit there and watch nine hours of Norwegians. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it'd be fascinating. <laughs> like, what are you going to find? Like, I wouldn't even let anyone fast forward it. <laughs> I know. No, I love this part. I love this part. Stop. Yeah. Then get some popcorn. For sure, yeah. And they also find the melded bodies, and they decided to bring it back. I mean, I guess they have to take a look at it. I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't have transported that. But I do think it's funny when they do get back and they sort of dump on the table. They're like, yeah, we found this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like all like steaming yeah. and... It, the the faces melded together is yeah. so scary. But they're so they're like, like Kurt it. Russell is so like low key about it. He's just like so yeah. This that we found this thing. <laughs> I want that in my foyer, which also kind of is interesting talking about like how it was considered a flop at the time, and what kind of impact that had on later filmmakers. Yeah, well maybe it's like the Velvet Underground. Like they have that famous line that only a hundred people ever saw the famous the Velvet Underground live, but right. all hundred people went on big home famous rock musicians right yeah that's interesting so maybe it's like that i mean that's obviously not true but but they so they do a little autopsy on it they say the the organs are normal i don't know why that matters i mean they're still everything looks kind of normal like they still have arms they still have their faces so i'm not sure why they thought the organs i guess because it, it's still a human oh you so you thought you think maybe they were thinking there was several bodies that were like melded together or something that's what it looks like okay yeah so they, they assigned the autopsies to dr wilford brimley <laughs> so you get this sense i guess again that that's his purview somehow. He's a real doctor, I suppose. I did think he's funny when he's looking through the organs. He's just like, yep, heart, intestines, liver. <laughs> he's, he's just naming organs. And they have a really cool shot of the dog. That dog is such a good actor, by the way. Isn't it? Yeah. And that's interesting because they were talking about how it was, you know, it's half wolf, half husky. So it is like, it's still kind of a scary animal. Like, um. I used to have a husky. Did you? When I was a kid. Richard Mauser, who was the main actor with the dogs. 
he said that like you could treat it like a real dog, but you still had to be very aware this is a wild animal. He said every once in a while it would just like stop and stare at you. And you had to know how to react to that. Because if you were to make a sudden movement, he could still attack. And so really? he was still kind of a skittish yeah. dog. So the fact that it was such a good actor and it was able to be trained so well is pretty interesting. Yeah, it just it just looks like it's like every time I see a movie in a dog, I mean, not every time, but you can always kind of tell they're just kind of doing the best they can with this this, this dog, you know. But this dog, like it always looks like it's actually thinking <laughs> like it's sentience. Just the scene where it's staring at the humans or especially where it's staring outside when I, I guess when Kurt Russell and Dr. Copper, I guess his name right, get back. From the other base, oh, basically yeah, dog like, and you can like when you know later you realize the dog's like shit. What do they find? <laughs> <laughs> and so he's kind of like walking around everybody. I wonder, like, that's kind of interesting because like it's not just the dog checking things out; it's yeah. the thing. And so is he looking for his next victim, or does he even think that way? I don't I, even I know. Think, yeah, because I, yeah. then they have the great shot of him going to someone's room, yeah, but you it, only see the shadow, so yeah. you're not really sure who it is. Who do you think it is? Like, I mean, who do they know is infected first? I mean, it could be Clark, but maybe he didn't infect him. Maybe he just went in there. Maybe it was Palmer. He gets, He's infected later. Yeah. I've seen people think it's Palmer. I think it's Dr. Blair. Yeah, that would make sense. Because, uh, and we'll talk about it, but I, I think he's sort of play acting. Because I think he does know he's a thing. Like, I know the actors kind of decided, or I've read somewhere, that there's this idea that they don't maybe know they're a thing. Or things, plural, or whatever. The rest of the time that Wilford Brimley is either investigating or, you know, all this crazy stuff with the axe, he's sort of play acting as a means of getting himself. Oh, yeah. Because that it gets him removed from the situation. And that's where he gets to build a spaceship. Yes. I don't know. It's just a theory. Yes. I, and we all obviously know at some point he gets infected. I just don't know when that would happen if the rest of the time he was isolated. You know? Although I guess the thing wouldn't really want to destroy all the equipment because he would want to escape. He would want to go and spread chaos to you know everywhere else. Maybe. So maybe it wasn't him. But anyway, that's just a fun theory I have. And then so then we see our first monster. So we put the, the dog goes in the cage with the other with the other dogs, and the other dogs can sense something's wrong. I think, and they don't they start barking at him and kind of antagonize yeah. him. Another good acting scene, though. Yeah, and then the, the dog just explodes. Yeah, which was so shocking. He opens up like a demigorgon, which yeah, I'm sure but, oh, Stranger Things also yeah. okay. must be inspired by this. Definitely, yeah. And he has another head that comes out again. It's like I kind of feel bad for the thing. Like he's just he's trying to be a dog so bad, but then he just really fucks it up. And yeah. he's like, "Is this a dog?" And it's just like this big <laughs> mound of flesh. Is this and- what you want? <laughs> And then so they come in and find it, and then this is when we get that great line. What do they say? Oh, well, yeah, well, Matt comes in, and he, he knows something's going on. And so he goes, says, go get Childs. Next scene, you, you have one of the characters saying, Mac needs his flamethrower. Right. And Keith David's just like, Mac wants what? <laughs> so I guess we know that Keith David's job is to maintain the flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> they set it on fire, because it's already, like, spitting... It's acid at the other dogs. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just throwing, like, tendrils or tentacles at the dogs. It's kind of sad when you see the dog get hit with a little... Oh, and then it's, like, just spit. writhing there, just, like, yeah. covered in... Like, it's like a, it's been covered in acid. Yeah, apparently I, they did cut some stuff from that scene I did read. There was a much worse, gruesome scene with the dog, which I guess they were like, we can't do that. Um, but even then, Richard Macer kind of upset. He's trying to stop them from shooting the dogs. yeah. Um, which I guess they kind of have to. Then it has another like demogorgon type thing come out that opens up like a flower. Yeah. They said that actually, like if you look inside of those, that's actually dog teeth oh, that weird. are yeah. lined up. Like it looks like what would be the 
on a demigorgon the teeth, but That's it's actually crazy. dog teeth and yeah. dog tongues. Because I still want you to know that, that there, there is an essence of a dog in this. Yeah. But then um, they just put a flamethrower to it anyway. Right. And then they, then they have to immediately put the fire out, I guess, to control the fire. Okay, yeah, yeah, there's that one doll that's like chewing through the, the gate. Yes, he's chewing through the yeah. metal he's wire. Like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. But uh, the other dogs are still in there. At least one of them is fully being assimilated or whatever. So you have to kill that one. So I guess my thing is, I, I suppose that, that he would have become another thing. Because it, it also becomes like a spider type thing. It has yeah. claws that come out. And so I think also maybe we're supposed to think that, well, what else has it come in contact in its life? Yeah. Maybe like 10 million years ago. Does it also have like the pterodactyl DNA in it? Who knows? Cool. I mean, I guess it could be anything. <laughs> yeah. Big barnosaurus head comes out. <laughs> yeah. Well, life uh, finds a way. <laughs> well, so. But then they take it and they, of course, uh, Dr. Blair comes and cuts it open again. And he kind of like cuts open all these fleshy parts. You can kind of see like the struck bone structure of a dog inside, like the skeleton. It has it still has like a skeleton. I mean, there's not really much rhyme or reason to it, but it's still terrifying. Yeah. Dr. Blair immediately suspects poor um, Clark. Clark. Right? Yeah, because Clark is the dog handler. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. But also, like you said, maybe Blair's already infected and right. he's trying to cast suspicion on Clark. Yeah, but so you're supposed to think, and I did think, that Clark was the thing, you know, pretty much from the get-go. Although it turns out he's just kind of aloof and weird and doesn't say much. Yeah. Um, which goes to like your, what you are saying earlier, that you don't know much about any of these characters, therefore they can all seem sort of equally suspicious. But I definitely thought it was Clark. I was like, yeah, it's clearly Clark. And then I think later in the movie, every time they say something, like, where's Clark? Like, <laughs> like when someone... You know, destroys the blood sample. Where's Clark? He's like, I'm right here. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. We infer that Wilford Brimley, you know, shooting randomly and hitting things with axes is weird, but we never met him before. Maybe this is just a Tuesday and they're just like, uh oh, (laughs) Wilford's acting up again. Yeah. Good God. So then they go back to where they, because they see on the videotape, they see where the spaceship is. So they do another really cool exterior shot. They climb down an ice wall and there's actually like the, the UFO down in there. Yeah. And its hatch is open, right? Like you see the hatch open on the top of the, the spaceship. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. I didn't think about it that. It drives me crazy because they, they don't go down in it. And I, I guess it's probably, you know, the budget, but maybe they did and they just don't show it. I wonder if they do that in the, in the prequel, but it's hatches, right? It looks like the hatch, like in the, you know, Millennium Falcon, like at the top and or lost. Or whatever. lost. Yeah. It's lost. <laughs> I mean, it's a hatch. It's a um, hatch. And they're like, ah, we're fine. We've seen enough. I think they have probably seen enough. Also, yeah. you don't know, I guess, what's what's down in there. What are they going to maybe find? You're going to tell me you wouldn't go down that hatch. <laughs> I would. I go down the barbarian hallway. Would I go in the hatch? <laughs> These are the tough questions that we yeah. have. I mean, if nothing else, it would arguably be warmer down there than there, where they are. And this time, like Doctor Blair is running things on the computer, and so we see they kind of give like some bold. <laughs> statistics like yeah. this computer is pretty confident it says like s- cell dog assimilation imitation so i yeah. think it's that simple it's supposed to be but then he runs some numbers and it says there's a 75 percent chance that someone else in this camp is infected he's like it's me <laughs> <laughs> so he's like it's higher than that computer <laughs> in 2700 hours the entire population could be infected which i had my sister do the math that's 30 270,000 hours i thought i said 27,000 hours oh maybe that's it Whatever it is, it's like it comes out to like thirty six months. Yeah. Okay. 
So you got a little bit of time. Yeah, you'll be fine. I that guess. scene actually is the most reminiscent of Alien, because it's a very similar scene to Alien, where uh, Tom Skerritt's character goes to the mother computer. Right, He's right. Like, mother. Right. And he goes, tell me what the odds of our, our chances, and it's like, you know, not good or something. By the way, sidebar, um, I get I subscribe to Vanity Fair. Now. Okay. There's a terrifying article in here. I read it the other day. It's called Artificial Intelligence, Savior or Overboard. And it is the scariest shit you'll ever read. There's some people that think we may not even be here like in as little as three years. Three years? <laughs> some people give it as high as 10 years. And some people say we'll be here at least 100 years. <laughs> all that is like equally. But it's anyway, it's, it's a good article. It's kind of at the end after all the celebrity interviews. <laughs> <laughs> so after you hear all about Bad Bunny's life, then you realize, oh, I also only three years to live. Yeah. Well, so then they all kind of uh, look to McCready, like, what are we going to do? And he has the best line of the movie where he says, I'm tired of talking. I just want to get up to my shack and get drunk. <laughs> yeah, that probably was actually John Carpenter's line that <laughs> day. <laughs> well, that's a good line, Mr. Carpenter. They also do, and this is around the time they also show or establish that he's not just drinking J&B, he's drinking Coors. Yeah. So that is my excuse to switch it up and go to Coors Light at some point during this podcast. Although this, this J&B is going down pretty smooth, I think. It's really good. I yeah. like it. So I think our next victim is Bennings. And he's a sweet guy. He's the guy who gets shot, right? The, yeah, yeah. The redhead. And he is in the same room with the creature. They put it in there. And we can see that it's, it's still moving. It's yeah. not dead. Unbeknownst to them. Right. But knownst to us. <laughs> <laughs> Windows comes into the room that they were in because they moved that body in there. And he's like all tied up. They're going... the tentacles are going in his mouth like there's like bloody clothes everywhere yeah it's removed his shirt yes. put it softly put it just laid on the right. chairs folded it well that does become like kind of a key later because yeah. they find like clothes that's ripped up and so that kind of shows that got inside of you is that what they're trying yeah, to say i guess when the tentacles burst into you it yeah removes your i don't know something but and um, windows finds him runs out tries to get help and they come back and he's gone and they see him stumbling out into the snow. And this was one of the more shocking moments to me. It's not as uh, elaborate as like a giant monster, like dog puppet. But just whenever he turns around, and he's got those those arms. They're all like gooey and bony. And then yeah. he just turns and he screams. I wonder, was that just like music they used? Or I wonder how they made the sound. I don't know. It's a very creepy scream. It doesn't sound, obviously it doesn't sound you know, human. But I love this idea that it's just not quite formed yet he's still working on himself yeah. uh, and i guess the hardest part is the hand i guess so um, and just and like then, edward scissor hands yeah it's too hard to make the hands and then at some point he'll get his voice right but for now all i can do is do like that guttural yeah well immediately mccready uses his flamethrower yeah. which he just loves yeah thank god they have so many flamethrowers around yeah it seems like they figured out pretty quickly that you know the, the thing doesn't like fire i guess it's yeah or you can hard. burn it i think the norwegians also had some burned Oh, bodies, right, right, yeah. so. oh, well, yeah, that's a good example. That's a good thought. So yeah, they kind of figure out, I figure that's the way to do it. Like, wait a minute. So yeah, so they have no particular compunction about burning their friends alive. I guess they realize that it's not really their friends. Also, they don't have friends. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> They're all watching him burn. So I guess this is when Dr. Blair starts going crazy. They, they find him and he's, uh, they say he destroys the, the copter He's now destroying all the computers. He's got an axe. He's wielding a gun around. This also makes me kind of think that he already is infected. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, it's a big sort of misdirection to make everyone else think, well, it's definitely not me, because why would I do this? I would want to escape. But, but if Dr. Blair also thought that he's doing this for the good of the humanity, 
by killing everybody, you think he'd do it a little better. Like he'd do it more like a like an Agatha Christie type who done it yeah. like clue type thing where he's going around killing everybody. Yeah. But he just he loses it. He's obviously not going to win this fight, even though he has a gun. They have flamethrowers though, so. Yeah. Another reason I think is a thing is I find it a little hard to believe that, that the doctor would just lose it so completely, which is kind of, I would love to see this movie from the thing's point of view. That would be such an <laughs> yeah. interesting idea. Things like just like the victim this whole time, like it's just trying to be a dog. <laughs> <laughs> like that was like his perfect form, his perfect state. And they have to chase with a helicopter and he's just going to run out in the snow and just be happy. Maybe. And so they just sedate Dr. Blair, lock him up in a tool shed by himself, even though he's still trying to warn them. Childs asked the other doctor, is there any way we can test? And so he says there may be a blood test, but then that doesn't come up until later Yeah, in one of the best scenes of the movie. It's funny you mentioned Agatha through Christie because this is also sort of the classic, you know, 10 little Indians set up. Oh, or, yeah, and yeah. And then there were none set yeah. up. I never really thought about it, but the Hateful Eight, you know, the Tarantino movie from a few years ago, which, you know, he cast Kurt Russell in. Yeah. He's kind of just doing the thing in a way. I mean, it's a much more arch sort of ambitious version of it i suppose you know with a lot of sort of weird civil war politics <laughs> but you think about it, it's in the snow they're isolated in a i guess a cabin yeah there's this whole idea through most movies that they don't quite know who is you know the villain or who's you know say who's poisoned so-and-so or who's the killer it's got a tin little indians vibe to it that's true um it all has kurt russell and they even use uh, an unused score from Enrico yeah that's Marconi. so true i've, I've read that too so it's interesting. So in a way, the hateful eight is like Tarantino's very obtuse <laughs> remake of the thing. I mean, um, John Carpenter also said that he wanted to make this movie just all dudes. And I mean, he seemed to think that I think in one of the interviews, he said, well, I just hadn't seen a movie with all dudes in a while. And it's like, <laughs> really? <laughs> Which yeah. I, I kind of like that now when I watch it, because I think a woman might have brought more like sense I kind of like the idea that it's like a Lord of the Flies type Undoubtedly, thing. Like, yeah. Like, especially like when they're cutting themselves with the knives and then they just use the same knife to cut the next person. It's like, what are you doing? We're trying to not infect each other. And then so during all this chaos, there's even more chaos because then it seems like somebody has gotten rid of all the blood, which I didn't quite understand that. I guess they need it for... I think it was because they know that Dr. Copper was going to run the test on it. So he didn't want to expose himself. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. But they blame Gary because Gary yeah. is the one with the keys. And well, he, they also blame Clark <laughs> for, for a minute. Where's Clark? He's like, I'm right here. <laughs> they also blame the doctor, kind of, Dr. Copper, because mm-hmm. he was the one that accessed the blood. He was the one running the experiments. Yeah, they also, but also Fuchs at one point gets infected. Yeah. But then when they find him, he's already burned himself alive. Is that kind of what happened? Like he already kind of knew? Yeah, that, I, I still don't quite get that. But that seems to be their theory that... He maybe gets attacked by the thing outside. And then he just burns himself. Yeah. And then they go and ask Blair for some reason, who's locked up. Have you seen Fuchs? That's a really creepy scene. Because it's got the noose hanging right yeah. in front of Blair. And he's Which just... they never comment on. No. <laughs> I thought it would have come into play, obviously, like Chekhov's gun, but no. And he's just real calm. Just like, hey, can I come back inside now? I feel better now. Yeah. It's like, I've made this noose. Dr. Blair does mention that he's heard some strange noises outside. So you could think, well, maybe he's heard so-and-so being attacked by the thing. Yeah. That's possible. Or yeah. he's just kind of making it all up. So the McCready's going to go check on his shack because he sees the lights on. So yeah. he thinks something's up. And then so him and Nalls go out together. They're supposed to stay in a line together because it's like a snowstorm. Yeah. They also do that in the Hateful Eight. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
And then when they come back, it's just Nalls. And he says, I, ha- I had to cut him loose, which I thought was pretty creepy. Like, he, they were attached, I guess, by a line. Yeah. And he cut it off because he found McCready's clothes that had been ripped. Yeah, like his helicopter jacket or something. Right. And so they all think that now Mac is is infected. But he breaks back in. Yeah, he creepily jiggles the doorknob, <laughs> which is kind of funny. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, but then he, I guess, breaks in through the some sort of supply closet or something. Yeah, and he's got uh, a he's got a frozen beard. Yeah, a flare. And a he stick looks, of dynamite. He just looks crazy. He does. <laughs> he, well, he's pissed. He's freezing. Can yeah. you imagine how cold he is? No, for sure. Yeah. And he quickly brings up, someone probably threw my jacket in the dumpster to set me up. And they're like, who so would one do of, Right. One yeah. of the things. Who yeah. would do that? Right. So Norris, who's also, I think, adorable, even whenever they're doing the standoff, when McCready's trying to get back in, you can tell he's kind of having heart problems. Something's not right. Yeah. And then they kind of cut back to that later, and he stops breathing. This is after they all kind of, not really reconciled, but McCready is uh, essentially taken over. He kind of gets back in charge because he has a flamethrower. And so then they take Norris to the doctor. He starts doing CPR. And this is where things get get crazy. This is so crazy. (laughs) So Dr. Copper has the paddles on Norris and the freaking things just sort of collapse into his chest. It is so shocking. It's so shocking. And then the chest like turns into like a mouth or something and like clumps down on his arm rips his arms his off. arms are completely ripped off um i read somewhere that they actually had an amputee yes. play that scene and you just don't notice like it's like a mask on but you don't even notice the mask because you're obviously you're focused on his ripped off arms yeah that's pretty cool yeah so the amputee um, had arms made out of jello bones made out of wax and so they put those onto his uh stumps and then he goes in and there's actually a, a hydraulic machine that clamps on the arms and rips them off. It's all, you know, just real materials that you're seeing. And then, yeah, like you said, they may, they put a like a face mask on the guy to make it look like. Not that you're ever looking at his face, though. Obviously, you're looking at his his arms that have just been bitten off by someone's yeah. stomach. I do like this idea that at one point, John Carpenter like calls producers. He's like, we need a double amputee. And they're like, what are they doing down there? Right. <laughs> Just give him what he wants. <laughs> just have him sign a release. <laughs> but yeah, so that is an absolutely bonker scene. I mean, I gassed. I just forgot about it. But the most amazing thing is that it doesn't stop there. It just keeps going. It's crazier going. and crazier, yeah. And now you don't, the characters don't see everything. Sometimes the camera sees things first. Right. So you see the head. And this is what was really cool about Rob Botton's designs, too, is that when he went to John Carpenter with these ideas, John Carpenter was like, I can't picture this like if this is too crazy so he actually sent him to go work with uh, mike plug who's a famous comic book artist who rob was a really big fan of being a big comic book fan and they actually he worked with this comic book artist for two weeks to make i would love to have this in an actual comic book as a graphic novel they should release it and so they made all the scenes in as a storyboard but he worked with the the comic book artist so, so that way john carpenter could actually see it because the way he was describing it it was too much he couldn't even picture it yeah so his head's gonna fall off the back and then that was fascinating too they talked about they used a lot of like plastics and bubble gum and had some kind something inside that would melt it all as it's going but he said the first time they did it because of all those fumes that were coming out of the plastic and they were melting and they also had fire going from the fire the flamethrower the first scene, the entire thing just exploded. Really? And everyone was didn't know what to do because that was like months of work. Yeah. 
So luckily they got things back together and then they got it. Also, the actor who plays him is that's his head um, at the beginning scene, the chest scene, but the rest of it is all a dummy. They got down to like his his chest hair pattern that was perfect. That's all his um, his his chest and everything is wax dummy. Crazy. And then so he's sitting in that for like twelve hours a day. He's under his head sticking out, but his body is under the table and his fake body's on top. So he's just having to sit there for like twelve hours a day, which is pretty insane. And then when his head comes off, obviously that's not him, but. Yeah. They had to shoot that in one scene. So they turn it on and it's just like plastic and bubble gum and it's melting and they're pulling the head one way. It is so disgusting. <laughs> and again, I, you know, we got to just get props to the thing because when it kills and when it just does it in the most disgusting, grotesque manner. And I know he's just expressing himself, <laughs> just, but just let me be me. But it is so gross. And, you know, you just don't see that. And then Rob Botten worked like every day, day and night. For over a year, so much that by the end of the shoot, they had to take him to the hospital for ex- exhaustion. <laughs> like, it was that bad. And so, with the, with the scene, so the head comes off. It's not even done. Not even done. No, still going. And so, we see that everyone's kind of in the room freaking out. And then we see the giant spider legs come out of the head. Yeah. And the big, big like, tentacle-type things. <laughs> and it scurries out behind them. And we see it first. And it's just in the hallway, like, hey, guys. Yeah, it just kind of scuttles away. and. <laughs> And then Palmer has another one of the best lines. It's just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> like, what else do you say at that point? They also have that scene in It. They kind of did the same thing. Remember, they had a spider oh, head yeah, type thing. Yeah. But no, that's a great effect. Uh, and uh, the, the cool thing about that is, like, they even need to do that. Like, they already had the great sequence with the five minutes before. I know. They need that sort of, you know, we, let's just keep rolling. You know, we, we just need another thing here. I guess that leads to, to Kurt Russell's sort of light bulb moment that like every part of the thing is sort of its own entity. Like if I cut my finger off, if I'm a thing, my, my finger is its own little self-aware part of the thing. And so I guess they learned that because of, you know, the head scampering away, even though they right. just killed the rest of the body. So all that's happening. And then they're still like, all turning on each other and so then now they're gonna do the blood test and he tells everyone that we're gonna tie everybody up which i don't know how we got everyone to agree to that but we well, the flamethrower i guess so yeah. but they do it but then there's a bummer scene when clark still thinks mac is the thing comes at him with a scalpel and mac shoots him in the head right in the forehead yeah which is kind of a bummer because then we did the blood test later and he wasn't infected yeah and they're like oh shit oh well <laughs> but childs has a great point about that when that happens, because he says, oh, so he wasn't the thing. So I guess you just murdered somebody. Yeah. Which is kind of like, yeah, you did. Yeah. And Kurt Russell's like, shrugs. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so like, did anybody really like him? But that's a shocking moment. But Kurt Russell or Mac has a you know great idea. It, it's unclear if it's the same blood test idea the other guy had, but whatever. But And so he, he's going to draw blood from everybody in the room. And his theory is that if he damages these vials of blood, because they're sort of independent of the host then they should react in some way. And so he goes through, you know, each person and it's very suspenseful every time. And he does himself and he's like, see, I'm, it's not me. I knew this. <laughs> um, although maybe he wouldn't know that. Maybe, yeah. maybe you're not self-aware. This scene is still like every time I'm like, wait, who is it again? Cause like, also you're not really sure. Like he says, like, okay, now we're going to do this person's blood, but you can, I wasn't really following it exactly. Yeah. So it's still shocking every time. Yeah. So when they do Palmer's, you know what his Kurt blood Russell could have done is he could have taken his own blood and just labeled it someone else. He could have. <laughs> it's like that, that, that scamp. That thing is too smart. Yeah. 
And then so Palmer, I guess he does not like that. The thing does not like it whenever they shock his blood. Yeah. Because he just becomes like Raiders of the Lost Ark melts. Then is his head split open or something? Or? Oh, yeah. So he completely melts. His eyeballs pop out. And then his head becomes like. Well, I can't take it. And he eats windows. Yeah. And then windows. Then just eat him. His whole head like clobs down on windows head. Lifts them up like 90 degrees. Them around. Yeah. Throws them around like a rag doll. And then they have to kill poor Windows because Windows presumably has been infected. Yes. Well, he, he is. He starts to like kind of like twitch oh, he and okay. yeah. He he kind of looks like he's all wrapped up on top of himself. It's really yeah. Creepy. It's pretty gross. Um. So that's two more down. And the funny thing is, like Kurt Russell's like, okay, well, let's continue the experiment. Yeah, back to business. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is a little humorous uh, moment right there. Like after that, when he's like, okay, back to it. And then there's three people left tied up. So then he does Nall's blood. He's okay. The next shot of like he gives Nall's okay. You can have a flamethrower now. <laughs> so then Nall's is behind him with a flamethrower. Then they do Child's blood. It's fine. Next shot is Child's now gets a flamethrower, and then all that's left is Gary. <laughs> I didn't notice the flamethrower business. That's <laughs> fine. They must have been so excited. And then of course Gary is also clear, and he screams. You know, could you please <laughs> let me the fuck out of here now? Yeah. That's a, yeah. such a great line. So then they head back to Blair, and he's not there. And that's when they find the floorboards are loose, and underneath he has dug down, built a whole room, and then also he has been building a spaceship. And obviously we know Blair is clearly infected. He's trying to get a spaceship. Is he just trying to go home, though, you think? Yeah, or you know, it could be they're just trying to go like to somewhere where there's actually people that he can infect. Maybe. Or he's just done with this place. Right. Um, but yeah, he's using parts from the, I guess, the helicopters. So he has been getting out somehow. Um, and then there's this really weird, freaky scene where someone also sees, and of course, they're kind of going back and forth to Blair's setup in the, the main base. And they see Childs kind of on his own out there. Yeah. And then within a few seconds later, all the lights go off. And they're like, okay, well, I guess he's blowing the fuses. We're all going to die. It's going to get down to 100 degrees below zero or something yeah. ridiculous. And like obviously, that. they're like, clearly he's infected because why else would he do that? Right. But then, uh, of course, later we hear that, well, he just saw Blair out there or something. That's what he says. That's what he says. But we don't know. We'll get to that ending. Um, but because of that, they decide, well, the only thing we can do is just burn the whole place down. Yeah. They realize that it, the thing just wants to freeze again. Yeah. Just wants to freeze. Yeah, just let it freeze. <laughs> just wants to be a dog and freeze. <laughs> and then, so that's when they go down into where the generator is. They're going to burn everything. Yeah. There's some really great scenes down there. I kind of wish that Nulls was still on his roller skates. You know, he's oh, kind of right. like down there investigating. Yeah. And then there's a really creepy scene. We see Gary down there investigating. And then we see Blair kind of pop up behind him. And then what, what does Blair do? It's just the weirdest thing. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. He just puts his hands in his face like it's plastic, which is probably yeah. what it was. But then and you think that's awful. Do you think that's scary enough? And then they have, have a scene later where he's dragging him by his face So skin. freaky. I don't even know how they thought of that. I love it. Yeah. Was he kind of also ingesting the He captain? might have been. Like, maybe he's, like, yeah. taking his... But, yeah, that's so creepy. And just the way they shoot that, too. Because when you, when you're, when you show him dragging him by his face, you're not quite sure what you're even looking at at first. <laughs> and he's so calm. Yeah. So, anyway, if there was no doubt before, you know, Wilford Bramley's either just really weird <laughs> or he's actually the thing. So, then there's a, a series of pretty cool little explosions. Like, there's a lot of fun explosions in this movie. Yeah, Apparently, but then we get down. So, then Nalls doesn't even get, like, a... He just goes into, like, the cavernous place. And we know that he oh, got... Yeah. But they don't... They don't get to see what happens. 
happened to him. Yeah, or, he doesn't really. We just kind of know that. I think that maybe they were just like out of money. Yeah, they're just like sorry, Nalls, you don't get a cool death. Maybe it's in the deleted scenes or something. Here comes all the big explosions. So they're going to try to blow up everything they can and burn everything they can. And now pretty much all they have left is McCready gets out and then he finds Childs and Childs excuses that he saw Blair and went after him, which we still don't know if that's true or not, especially if Blair was down in the generator room. But you think you might want to announce yourself and be like, hey, I saw Blair. Let's go get him. It's kind of weird to just sneak off by yourself because that's what everybody else did. Yeah, well, he just says he got lost or something. Oh, right, in the snow. Yeah, but we also they before that they do show the sort of final appearance of the thing, you know, and they call this the you know the Doctor Blair thing, and it's just completely crazy. It jumps out from the mm. floorboards. It has like ten faces. It still has a dog face. It's still yeah. It's still yeah. trying to figure out what it wants to be. Yeah. So I, I kind of realized, and I read this online that it, it's still has all the memories of its past forms. So that's why the final version, after killing so many people, has just so many components to it. Yeah. I can't decide um, what it, what it wants to be. And Kurt Russell has, you know, his, you know, fuck you two line and throws a grenade at it. Right. <laughs> which, uh, you know, blows it up. But yeah, the first time I watched this, I didn't, I didn't think about the fact that one of them was a thing. But when I watched it again um, last night, I'm like, oh, that's what they're doing. Like, you know, is it McCready? If it's either of them, we don't know what's going to happen. Or it could be neither of them and they freeze to death, which what? is what they kind of allude to because, like, Child says, this is real hot around here now, but it's about to get really cold and there's no more place to hide. Well, supposedly, I don't know if this is true, but in the trivia section of IMDb, <laughs> they say that in the final scene that Kurt Russell, is, you can see his breath and you can't see Child's breath because because he doesn't breathe or something. But I don't think that would make sense because the thing perfectly replicates things so it would still breathe yeah that could also just be a production yeah error because like, supposedly they, they attributed that to something john carpenter himself said hmm. but no one can ever track down <laughs> this quote he said but i think john carpenter he, he tweeted something a few years ago where he apparently said yes one of them is supposed to be a thing that was like literally his quote out of nowhere apropos of nothing and yeah. that makes it much more dire because that means that one of them still has it and it's going to get out and it's going to yeah. destroy the world. But I love Kurt Russell's line where he says, you know, before the last line where he says, well, if one of us is the thing and he says it's in a more creative way than that, then we're both too tired to do anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just like, I, I give up. If, if you're the thing, I, I'm exhausted. I'm freezing. You have at me. Yeah. Um, and the and child I, says, well, what are we going to do then? Yes. And he says, well, I guess we'll just wait here and see what happens. Yeah. And he just says in the coolest, you know, Kurt Russell oh, way. And then they share a drink. Of course, he, he kept his J&B. Yeah. Oh, another theory, though, was that the J&B has, because they're, they, they're using those for molecular cocktails. So he's given J&B, which is supposedly filled with gasoline. Oh. And the thing drinks it, not knowing that it's anything. But again, if the thing perfectly replicates humans it would probably know it was drinking gasoline interesting but it's like some test to see there's about a billion theories from the end i thought that was kind of a cool one well i still say five spider heads watching it again it, it also looks so good it doesn't look dated it looks crisp no no i think we're, we're watching uh, kristen's very fancy 4k restoration of it which apparently john carpenter gave her for her birthday um it looks great um but i mean you're right it doesn't look like it was made 40 years ago there's like literally no complaints i can think of for this movie all right so we highly recommend and i say get it on the 4k or the blu-ray it's worth it absolutely yeah um and so now we're gonna do usually we do a mini true crime corner 
I don't have a really a true crime corner. You don't. <laughs> I mean, I do, of course. But what this made me think of was, I mean, a lot of things. Like, So I wanted to do like more like a recommendation. Like, if you like the thing, then maybe you'll like this. So a really good book is, now this is a horror book. And when I say horror, I mean like it's it's disturbing. But it's called The Deep by Nick Cutter. Nick Cutter is a pen name. Um, I forget what his other name is, but he writes under other another name for his other books. But his horror books, his name is Nick Cutter. And the deep is kind of, it's essentially the thing, but down in the Marinara Trench. So there's um, a group of scientists that go down to the Marinara Trench. They're studying. They lose contact with them. And so someone comes down to check on them, and it's just chaos. There's also a dog involved in this book, too. So if you can't handle things happening to dogs, I don't recommend it. But I really like that book. Is it a fairly recent book? or? Um, yeah, I mean, these are all like written in the last 10 years or so. Another book that I love of his is called The Troop, which is about a Boy Scout troop who gets uh, stuck on this island. And there's this um, virus that gets going around that when you get it, you can't stop eating. And so you keep eating, 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 and then your stomach explodes, but you're still a zombie, you're a monster. Probably that, worth it. <laughs> <laughs> probably. But you also start eating like everything. I mean, like trees, like people, like rabbits, like whatever you can eat, you can't stop. And that is also, again, if you read these books and then you're like, why'd you tell me to read this? I'm not telling you to read it. It's, it's, it's legit horror. Yeah. What it really made me think of was a book I'm actually reading right now called The Terror by Dan Simmons. Oh, I, Have you I, read that? Oh, I watched the show. Yeah, and there's a show too. Yeah. I haven't watched the show because I'm reading the book. Okay. The show's good. And Dan Simmons also wrote another great book called The Summer of Night, which is a very Stephen King-esque book. His books are very big. Yeah. But they're very good. I remember, and, yeah, he, he used to do fantasy. Then at some point he branched out into things like the terror, and uh, which I know have fantastical elements. But he used to do like, almost like Game of Thrones type, oh. like that type of fantasy. Well, I mean, the terror is a historical fiction. Like it's based on, a, on true events. The characters yeah. are really But they're like a monster or something. Yes, like, but they uh, add the event. Because okay. what's so crazy about this is this, it's based on a 1945 expedition. They're trying to go up to the Arctic Northwest Passage that they think they can get around, right? And so this is um, Sir John Franklin, who is the captain, and he takes these two ships, the uh, Erebus and the Terror, and he's going to take them up through where he thinks he knows how to get through, and then the ships get stuck in ice. This is true. This actually happened. They get stuck there for two winters, Chris. Yeah, kind of like the Shackleton thing, right? Yes. They can't get out of the ice. They have lead poisoning. They have scurvy. They have malnutrition. They are going crazy. Then they eventually decide that they are going to get off the ship. Some of them get off the ship and they take their little canoes. None of them survive. They end up trying to eat each other. There's cannibalism. So it's a fascinating story on its own. Yeah. So if you find a good book about that, then that's highly recommended. But also if you add in this book, The Terror, it's that same story. The same people, same facts. You know, Sir Franklin was known as, um, they called him... The thing. <laughs> <laughs> they called him the man who ate his shoes because he was also on another expedition that went wrong. And that's a fascinating expedition, too. They ended up eating the leather on their shoes. They right. ate lichen. And then they ended up murdering someone and eating them. So that's all before this happens. But then Dan Simmons takes that whole story, factually correct, but then he adds... Well, what could have happened to these people? Kind of like it kind of reminded me how we talked about in The Witch, in our now famous episode number two, The Witch. We talk about that was number two. Wow. Yeah, the movie The Witch, and then I told the story about the Hinter Kafak murders, which is essentially like a farm where the entire family was murdered brutally, and there's no evidence as to what happened, which kind of reminded us at the end of The Witch. 
someone comes across this, what are they going to think happened? So that's my recommendation. But instead of me talking about any of that shit anymore, we're going to talk about what's really important. We're going to talk about the X-Files. Yay. We're going to talk about the ICE episode from 1994. Was that right? I think it was, I mean, to be real nerdy about it, I think it was probably late 1993. You're right. 1993, season one, episode eight. Yeah. So again, apologies. You guys can just end the episode here if you're not interested. <laughs> but we're huge X-Files fans. Again, this is the 30th year. For all I know, the ICE episode may be the 30th anniversary by the time this podcast airs. ICE was from the very first season. It is funny that they took all of eight episodes before they did say, we're doing the thing. <laughs> like, we can't help it. Um, they didn't waste any time. But it's it's on its own. It's one of the more classic X-Files episodes. Like, people seem to generally regard it as one of those, say, the top 10 or 20 episodes. It's a David Nutter episode. David Nutter, yeah. Which, if you watch Game of Thrones, you see his name pop oh, up. Oh, yeah. And I think it was a, a Glenn Morgan and James Wong duo mm. which if you're an x-files fan you know they're sort of you know they usually have their own kind of vibe with their episodes but anyway they're obviously all the thing fans they sort of openly acknowledge this if you read any interviews from the time or even now they're like yeah it's a thing yeah <laughs> so i mean it's hard to deny it well it's not in antarctica it's in the arctic so there's one difference I yeah it's in alaska it's yeah. a little different we start out in what essentially would be the Norwegian base in the thing. Yeah. But we kind of see what happens. We right, see a guy right. covered in blood. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a standoff with guns. Who's who? We don't know who's the. What are they? They don't even have a name for it in that. But yeah, I know. You see two people in an empty sort of um, science station. I think you already see like a dead body here and there. And they immediately attack each other. Yeah. There's a dog walking around. It's a yeah. dog in this too. And then, but then mysteriously, these two guys, one of them's shirtless and the other guy is just sort of bloody. So you know, there's like some shit has gone down. But they each grab guns, and then the sting before this sort of X-Files main credits is, is they both, instead of shooting each other, turn the guns on themselves, and they both at the same time kill themselves. Yeah. And you're like, what is going on? Yeah, that's always how the best X-Files episodes start. And of course, what you're supposed to, I guess, think is, oh, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, they're still themselves. They just have heightened aggression. They broadcast something that says, we are not who we are, and they yeah. also write it in blood a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So they're trying to warn, the, or at least this one guy is trying to warn the outside world, I suppose, don't come here. Um, because I guess they would, they know that they would stop their transmissions. And Mulder's people. like, guess where we're going, yeah. Scully? He's a little um, forward sometimes. I forget how he is. He's just like, well, we're going to Alaska, Scully. Yeah. Pack your mittens. She has no choice. She really does. She's, yeah, she still doesn't have a desk. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> point. It is kind of interesting when you think about their dynamics just on that level. Like he probably gets paid more. Oh, know. for sure. Even though he is, is the black sheep yeah. of the FBI. But they, so they go to Nome, Alaska. They have a little more information about what they're doing here, at least. They're looking at the... Ice core samples. Right. Yeah. So And they're geologists. They're it's doing. a little bit like when they go to Jurassic Park. Like They have a different fields. Like they have, they have some geologists. Yes. They have a... I don't a know, paleobotanist. Like, they have a chaos theory guy. <laughs> Um, whatever Benyon from Seinfeld does, uh, you know, the guy with the red hair. Yeah. Um, and of course they have the pilot, the helicopter pilot, which is basically Kurt Russell's character, kind of, kind of way. He's just there to fly the chopper. Yeah. He is kind of like a no nonsense guy. So, so they all go from the Nome, Alaska to, I don't know, middle of nowhere, Alaska, pretty much the North pole, essentially to that same base. And, uh, you know, they find all the dead bodies and Xander Berkeley is oh, right. what is he? The, uh, he's just a science, a geologist. I don't know. Isn't someone a botanist? No, that's, 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 that's a Jurassic Park <laughs> <Yeah>. too. <laughs> Felicity Huffman is, is one of them a doctor. I yeah. guess Scully's a doctor. Yeah. 
I don't know. They're, they're all, I'm sure they all have PhDs at least. And then the guy from Seinfeld is like the nerd recognized. I think as being. he's an expert in like studying the ice fields because okay. Mulder kind of asks him about it later and he says, very good. And I thought, oh, that's nice. Like, <laughs> he likes to listen to his old football um, plays on his, yeah. on his cassette players. Right. And when they get there, also the dog is still there and the dog attacks Mulder. And so this is kind of like the same. It is very similar. Yeah. Thing, I mean, I can't it? believe or even like how. <laughs> Anybody even missed this? I guess no one missed it. Just so like obviously, then they start accusing. They realize that there's something yeah, that's infected. The dog people. attacks. Um, well, mostly it attacks Mulder, maybe a few others, but he bites the helicopter pilot. Short story: the helicopter pilot um, starts immediately growing these weird nodules under its. Where are they? Kind of on his upper back or something. I thought they were under his arm. Oh, under his arm. That's why yeah. I was confused later when they keep checking the back of their necks. Yeah, well, I guess they can appear anywhere, arm. but but they disappear too. So you have, you have to be careful. But that's a telltale sign that they've been infected um, by these kind of weird piercing worm things that were found deep in the ice, kind of like the thing. Oh well, yeah, and then Felicity Huffman later says that it's um, it looks like symptoms of the bubonic plague. Mm. So I'm not really sure where how that comes in, but yeah. That it's ammonia hydroxide, apparently, that has come out of the ice that's inside the dog. And so I guess they assume that that's what's been infecting people. Yeah. And they even see it sort of like underneath the dog's skin. It's, it's pretty gross. And I guess they pull it out of the dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's really disgusting. And they put it in like in a little thing of water. Yeah. There's that funny scene where Felicity Huffman is saying something about how she discovered this parasitic thing in, under her microscope. And it's like, I saw the same thing. in life. <laughs> used anything earlier yeah it's like how long have you had this knowledge i know it's so funny um but it's a great episode uh they all again start suspecting each other of being infected which you know gives you heightened aggression makes you paranoid scully makes a great point well why would the parasite want to kill its host i'm not sure if they ever resolve that question but you know something to do with just self-preservation i suppose you would want to kill, you know, the others. I guess the most shocking kind of part for someone that was an exile single like me was when Mulder and Scully kind of turn on each other. Right. Because, um, you know, Mulder gets a little bit aggressive with the others and uh, Scully turns her gun on him. And I gasp every time. Yeah. And Mulder's like, get that gun away from me. And Scully says, well, you may not be who you are. Oh, yeah. 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 And she's so caring. But they're also very tired. None of them are sleeping. It's yeah. It's very thing-like. So they see the uh, thing in the back of the pilot's neck. But then when they pull it out, he dies. Yeah. So I guess they, he can't live without it after he gets in him? I don't know. Yeah, and that's kind of, yeah, I think that may be why Scully says, well, a parasite would have no interest in killing its own host, which I felt very smart about because I thought that same thing. Um, but probably only because I've seen that episode like 30 times. It's funny that they decided to not only um, need blood samples, but they needed stool samples. So they all yeah. had to poop into a jar. Right. Which is also very funny. Mulder has some really good zingers in this. Like whenever they decide that they're all going to check each other and he starts to take off his pants and he says, now remember, yeah. it's really cold up here. Yeah, we are in the Arctic. Yeah. <laughs> and then they check each other. Even that was kind of a sensual scene between Scully and Felicity Huffman. Yeah. Like the candlelit kind of like checking each other's. Yeah. But then we get to the, the scene where Scully and Mulder, um, first of all, any number of people are dying. They're just dropping dead like flies. You know, poor Bane from Seinfeld dies. I guess his throat cut by somebody. Yeah. And they find Mulder on top of him, so that's why they assume yeah. it's him. Which makes makes sense. Yeah. And again, you have the same sort of Ten Little Indians and Then There Were None vibe you get from the thing. You don't know who's doing it. It's somebody. Someone's infected. You know, they so they lock Mulder in the freezer. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess just like just an office. Jack Torrance. Yeah, just like Jack Torrance. Or just like Wilford Brimley. Yeah. And he's like, I'm safer in here than in here than you are, Scully. Right. And then it cuts the commercial. 
But then there's that great scene where so Scully and Mulder, no one trusts each other, but Scully says, well, let me go just check on them. We can check for bumps or uh, nodules. or." Right. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but they disappear. And Shor's like, shut up, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so there's that scene where she goes into Mulder's uh, little you know, lot office, whatever, and and then what happens? Oh my gosh, it's they're checking each other's backs, but somehow it's the sexiest thing you've ever yeah. seen. It's kind of reminiscent of the first episode, the pilot, whenever he has to check her back for the dots on the back, you know? Yeah. And his mosquito bites, and he kind of like brings the candle down her back and checks. That's the most you ever see of Scully's skin know, right? in that yeah. first episode, yeah. and then probably not until this episode do you see that much skin contact again. Yeah, or even that much contact between them. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, it's almost like they did that for the pilot, then they kind of yeah. decided, well, that's not really what we're going for or something. Around that time, I was thinking about this the other night, there used to be this, this commercial they would always run around the time of the first year of the X-Files that always, I always used to love watching it. It was like one of those commercials where they would show a bunch of scenes from different episodes. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, clearly the Fox Network's trying to get new viewers. Like we have this cool show and people, and it would show crazy scenes from like ice or tombs or whatever. And they would have quotes from critics saying how good the show was. And I just, I just thought that was always so cool. And then I, I used to like watching it because there would be all these episodes I hadn't seen yet. Because I didn't start watching until like halfway through. Oh, okay, okay. So I'll be like, what is that? Oh, my God. And then, of course, you couldn't just go stream it. You had to like wait for them to fucking rerun it. So I remember there's all these episodes. And one of them may have been Ice that I was like, what is that from? But it sticks in my mind because there's this one quote. And it was like, you know, scary, suspenseful. One of them was like, so sexy. <laughs> and my 13-year-old brain, I remember thinking, being very confused by that. Because I remember thinking, like, I don't remember any sex scenes. Mitch Pileggi? Is that what's so sexy? No, but I, now I know what they mean. It's like scenes like that. Yeah. Just like the inherent sexiness of Mulder and Scully. Well, I did actually. I said this out loud. We were, I was watching it the other night. And when they come out checking each other, Scully says, I examined him. <laughs> and I just said, yeah, you did. <laughs> well, I just think it's funny that she comes out like, and he's like, he's fine. And, <laughs> just, <yeah. laughs> like, and so they put the worms next to each other. They're the, the worms fight until they kill each other. Yeah. They, so they lo- kind of figure out yeah. what's happening. But it turns out that it was Felicity Huffman all along. And then she will for Brimley's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she's the one who freaks out. Because they put the worm back into the dog, another worm, so that way they fight each other, and then the guy's okay. But it's a really, it's a really tense scene because then they think that Mulder is infected, so they're going to put the last worm they have in Mulder. into Mulder. But if it doesn't have a worm already, it's going to kill him, yeah, or make him infected, I guess. And so it just happens to be that at the last minute, he sees the worm moving Felicity Huffman's. Yeah, Xander Berkeley does actually. Yeah, yeah, her husband. So yeah, and then they put the worm and tackle Felicity. <laughs> <laughs> they put the. Worm in her ear, and she ends up, I guess, being okay. They take her away on a stretcher, but I guess she's fine. Yeah, yeah. And then she goes to, you know, college admission scandal or whatever she does. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and she was like, this is going to pay for my kid. Yeah. But it has a cool ending. Another one of those, you know, kind of bleak, ambiguous X-Files endings where, the, you know, the thing is still down there. And then, oh, by the way, they burned the base down, and, you know, the government's covering it up. And there's that great line where Xana Berkeley walks by, and... Skull is like, who authorized this? Meaning, burning down the base. Right. And he's like, oh, you should know. It's your people. And, right. And of course, he's correct. And Skull is like, let's get out of here, whatever she says. Yeah, because at first, Mulder is like, I'm going to go back down there. I'm going to take more samples. I'm going to figure this out. And then always his plans are thwarted. Yeah. And it's Skull like, is like, I'm not even getting overtime for this. What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so. And then they move on to something even crazier. Yeah. 
So the episode is called Ice is on Hulu. And I'm sure any number number of other streaming you know options. But if you have Hulu, obviously you don't have to pay for it. Um, season one, episode eight, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right after that, you know, the next episode is what space. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why you hate space so much. <laughs> you think that's the that's yeah. the we found the root of it? Yeah, it might be. So yeah, you can skip uh, episode nine and go to episode ten. Yeah. So again, it's crazy that you know it's just such an obvious you know homage or rip off of the thing. But you know it shows that when you do something right, you know it can still be effective. Yeah. You know without the Mulder and Scully dynamic and all the great you know sort of chemistry between them, it, you know it wouldn't probably be as good because you have to be invested in them to be sort of to care what happens when they turn on each other. Otherwise, you probably who cares? Uh, so that kind of adds a whole other level to it. Mulder and Scully. God, can someone? Give me some ideas for an X-Files tattoo. I want to get something, but I don't know what to get. Oh, I don't know. So I would maybe, love that. Maybe we can have some some ideas. You can do whatever tattoo Scully gets in the episode where the tattoo talks to her. With the, it's like Jodie Foster's voice. <laughs> yeah. With the snake in his tail. That's a, that could be construed as like kind of hacky, though, if you don't get yeah, it. Yeah, that's that's kind of more of a thing now. Um, I thought there's a tattoo of like a... Oh, that may be on the guy. Or it's like a... A girl and it's Jodie Foster. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that talks. Yeah, yeah. The X Files was a show. Okay, it was in the nineties. <laughs> these things happen. Like so. That's uh, our Ice ep- mini episode. If you haven't seen it, uh, if you like the thing at all, I think you'll like it. Um, even if you don't necessarily like the X Files, although I don't know how that's possible. Well, we also have a episode that we did on the X Files episode Home because it's definitely a horror episode. So check that out if you want to hear about that. And then we might do more like horror episode. X-Files, and then this may slowly just turn into an X-Files podcast. Yeah, so we can only hope. We'll see. All right. Well, so highly recommend both these. Please just watch out for your fellow man if they're acting weird. Right. Make sure you flamethrow them. Yeah, keep a flamethrower at all times. I mean, I, I would just go ahead and do it just to be safe. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Maltov cocktail them and... Right. Yeah, just get it over with. Only way to be sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Bye. Good night. So check that out if you want to hear about that. And then we might do more like horror episode X-Files and then this may slowly just turn into an X-Files podcast. Alright, well so highly recommend both these. Please just watch out for your fellow man if they're acting weird. Right. Make sure you flamethrow them. Yeah, keep a flamethrower at all times. I mean I, I would just go ahead and do it just to be safe. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Maltov cocktail them and Right. Yeah, just get it over with. Only way to be sure. Yeah. Alright. Well, thanks. Bye. Good night.